Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. I am Anatasha Blakely, and you are listening to our Artist Brain series, where we pick the brains of artists that we love and admire. Today, we have a wonderful guest, Shane Hartline, who is one of the nicest humans that I've ever met. And I think of him every time that I see Dwayne The Rock Johnson rocking, sorry, no pun intended, one of his hardest worker in the room shirts. And I want to buy that shirt. I want to be able to wear the shirt that says hardest worker in the room. But I know that I'd be a fraud. Shane, on the other hand, he could rock this shirt. Again, no pun intended. He is a writer, director, producer, improviser, comedian, content creator, rock star. You can check out his film, The Haunting of Grady Farm, on Amazon, his apparel company, Donut Punk, and his Instagram and TikTok at Shane underscore Heartline. Please enjoy this wide-ranging, lovely conversation with the very charming, talented Shane Heartline. You're listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. What are you drinking? Um, this like this healthy energy stupid bullshit thing. <laughs> this healthy that, energy uh, eye roll nonsense. Bullshit. Yeah, I'm. I um. I'm finding it's weird. Like I, I'm having like a weird caffeine sensitivity right now in my life, but I, I've never had it before. Like I, I've, I'm actually the type that's on the other end that I think maybe it's like my body has finally hit its limit of like, you consume too much caffeine. Um, so I'm like experimenting with other types of energy. So, Cause coffee doesn't like help. It doesn't do anything for me. So I'm just, Whoa. Uh, yeah, that like, I mean, I like coffee, like I like it mainly for the just the taste, but it doesn't just wake me up like I need maybe, you know, maybe cocaine is something that I should dive into. <laughs> Have you or tried no. cocaine, Shane? Or Never Adderall. Once. Never huh? want. No, neither. You know, I was just I was just talking to my best friend about this. Um, my best friend's not Travis or Pish, if you were wondering. Um, but <laughs> oh, I know <laughs> everyone knows Anatasha, your best friend. Okay? That's how you introduce about- every conversation. So anyway, I just feel like caffeine, alcohol, and basically just any food. My body is starting to just change in a way in age where those things are all affecting me more negatively in a very I think that noticeable might be way. The- that might be what I'm going through because I've gone, I went through many years of abusing caffeine, like abusing it. What, what was your drink of choice? I was into rock stars. Oh, I was monster, monster energies. And my worst period, I was two or three a fucking day. Whoa. I'm not kidding. I'm not, I don't know how I lived through it, but, um, and, and I even like, after I was like smart enough and like, God got away from that. And like, and I have a family history of heart issues. I was like, I want to get my heart checked just to be like, sure that I didn't do any permanent damage. And my heart is a hundred percent perfect, which I don't know, like that's a blessing because of the years of abuse of caffeine. Um, but like now I think it's starting to like have, like, like you said, it's like, I don't know, it affects me negatively. It's weird. So I'm trying to just, 
I'm trying teas. I'm trying all kinds of things to be like, what's a better, healthier option to get a little boost? Because I need it. <laughs> I need a boost. That's crazy that coffee doesn't do much for you. Have you tried like a Maybe it's just stuff? the coffee. Yeah, uh, not as much as I probably should. It's probably just what coffees I'm doing. Like, I, I it's not like I'm putting much effort into the coffee I'm drinking. Yeah. Um, so maybe I need a better, better choice. You know, there's a big problem with coffee, apparently, that mold grows on most coffee. You have to be very careful where it mm. comes from. Interesting. Yeah, like cheaper coffees. I mean, price price doesn't dictate everything, but if you can uh-huh. things that are like locally grown and stuff, I think that's... Okay. My mom sent me an email about this. She's not a coffee drinker, but <laughs> she, read, she read it and was like... <gasps> so since we already interviewed you about your art and stuff, today we're just talking about coffee and different <laughs> coffee. types of coffee. Yeah. Oh, um, thank di- God. Different brands. So. <laughs> Wait, Travis, Travis, we didn't already interview him or else we'd have record of that. Well, the thing with that is in order to have a record, uh, you need to push the button that says uh, record. No, no, no. Let me ask. Are we recording now? Is this? We are. We are recording. I have since okay. realized uh, when you schedule a meeting, you can check a box that says automatically record which is the box I thought I had checked for yours, but I didn't, but this time I did. Okay. Yeah. So I want to give everyone, you know, 30 seconds to just make fun of me. Uh, We can get that out of the way. Is this going to be in the show though? Well, that depends on how ugly it gets. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What I will say is one of two things. The, The world will now not have what is probably the best podcast in human history right my best my best interview i mean the the perspective like it just it won't be recreated so that that's gonna haunt you for the rest of your life um and then on the other side of it (laughs) it's okay it's okay we get to hang out again and i get to talk about myself again i'm fine I'm yeah. perfectly on fine. On one hand, it was just a beautiful work of art. And on the it, other hand, we get to do it again. The, the It would have been a museum piece. Like, it would have, you know, but that's, like I said, that's going to haunt you. And that's not <laughs> on me. I just don't get the, the, you know, what would have happened for my career from that <laughs> podcast, you know. And hopefully this can be the, can still, I just, it won't. You know, we're already, it won't be the same. Yeah. I was on a roll. I, I think I would have been the next Ryan Seacrest, you know, they would have oh, uh, yeah. my interviewing skills and went boom. Your career, my career, you know, Andrew's career, Travis, not as much, but. Well, that's the real reason I felt like I was off a little bit and I wanted another. Oh, so this was all, this was intentional. I wanted oh, this an, was- another chance. Yeah. Uh, can we just refer to it occasionally throughout this? Cause it's going to be the, the thing that's going to be challenging is we're going to be like, Oh, I think we already talked about this, but I'm going to, I really, I went into this telling myself being very genuine right now that I don't want to refer to it. Uh, you know, it's like it already happened, but like it's inevitably going to happen. So can we, can we call it something like the first podcast? Like that's very basic, but like maybe like the, 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 the the greater story or the better podcast like i don't know yeah, I, like we can, I think i think it'll be like um oh the lost, be some, one. Oh, yes. the lost the lost, something the lost episode or something yeah the, the great the great lost episode the yeah great lost, the episode. great lost interview 
greatest, the great lost interview. That's of really good. Yeah. yeah. Let me right. just take a quick second to be genuine and just let the world know, Shane, what a great guy you are. And I know you've already said that enough is enough, but I just want to say, like, after we finished that ep- that interview and I realized what I had done, I I felt horrible and i was like so mad at myself and to be candid these two were pretty mad at me and like it was just it was a terrible feeling and i was like what am i gonna do i gotta tell him i'm gonna wait till tomorrow and i realized like i'm not gonna be able to sleep if i wait till tomorrow so i i sent you a message and i was like i let you know what happened and it was like it was like less than a minute later it was like 30 seconds you came back with like dude don't worry about it let's do it again what are you guys doing next week and it was like this huge weight lifted for me. And so I just want to shout you out. What do we, okay. First of all, two things like one, I've been in your position and it is the worst feeling. So that's that. I know how you feel. Like I've done things where, oh man, I'm, tr- I'm thinking of like multiple scenarios where I shot, you know, I flew. Okay. Here's a story for you super quick before I say my other part is I flew to Florida once to work with this national wrestling company, Impact Wrestling, and shot backstage interviews. And I left my hard drive on the airplane coming back. So everything I shot and flew to Florida for was pretty much lost. My only saving grace was one of the cameras that I had. Another camera was in Florida that I was borrowing from a friend. One of the cameras that I had still had the footage on a memory card. So I was able to piece together somewhat of an interview, but I, I lost like multiple angles. And so I know how you feel. I've been there on the other side. It's really like not a big deal. I forget what my other point was, but yes, it's not a big fucking deal. It hurts me to hear that. It's like, that is, it's so, it's like a, a body pain when you do something, when you lose something like that. And it my, is my friend, um, Sam, Ott, he's a DP. He's, he always says like, you either have two or it doesn't exist. And so I feel like I went in this, even knowing that, and and we and I still, you know what I mean? So like, I feel like I take some responsibility for not being like, we need a backup. Cause it's like, I know better. I've heard that a million times, you know? I agree. This is all Anatasha's fault. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it's not, dude. No, it's not. <laughs> um, but are we recording though? We're recording? <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. recording. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. That's but no, it's, it's, it is not a big deal. I've definitely been there many times and it is a sinking feeling. And I think that's also why I was quick to be like, one, like, I don't know. I've been in situations where it's like, I've been on podcasts or whatever, where it's like, kids and they're not taking it seriously and then it would i might have responded differently like yeah well we'll get it like after christmas you know i still would do it again but like with you guys it's like i mean i i feel like we're like all the same people i've been there it's not a big deal and i get like i said i get to talk about myself again it's cool i love it i'm so excited to talk about you yeah i actually um recorded myself so i can hear but obviously i have headphones on but like so i can hear myself laughing let's just like stories. play that and then redo everything that happened in the great the great lost episode of 2020 the great lost episode i like no like i'll be like wow that's so insightful and it drives <laughs> me nuts because i'm like what was said you should have just scripted it you should have transcribed it and we could have just done a reading of the great lost episode yeah you know it's like there's some episodes of doctor who that they've lost all the video footage for and so they animated uh, to the audio from the episode. That's a real thing. Yeah. That's cool. Wow. Yeah. You got to imagine that's that would make a really good documentary. Just things like films or 
things that have been lost to history, like lost for many reasons. Like I know too, that something that's starting to break my heart is I filmed a lot of VHS footage when I was a kid and like my family filmed tons of VHS footage. And if you didn't have a high quality VHS tape, they're starting to just mold. <gasps> like VHS mold is a real thing and you have to send it off to a company to get it particularly cleaned or it's lost to history. Back to what I was saying, I would love to hear like, there's gotta be so many stories like that of films and TV episodes that are just gone and there's nothing that can be done. And that's like gut-wrenching. Now I'm hoping they're like going back and digitizing and I'm assuming they're doing that with most, most old things, but it'd be interesting to hear. So are you recording? Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. I have a pitch if Blockbuster is listening. They are. They are? Oh, cool, they're listening. Cool. So the experience of like going to a video store, I will spend an hour looking through Netflix and just never sometimes find something to watch and then resort to just old crap shows that I shouldn't be consuming. But the experience of like going to a video store, but I think there's like a world where like Blockbuster could do something like a monthly membership for like five to 10 bucks where you can go and like physically rent as many, like an, an in-person Netflix kind of, where you can go and rent as many movies as you want one at a time, but like you can keep it as long as you want. I just think there's like one, you, you, anytime we would get a movie from Blockbuster, we're for sure going to watch it if we brought it home. But even then, being that being said, is like you said, DVD players are starting to become kind of like a thing of the past. So I don't know. I just miss the 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 experience of going to a video store and actually finding something. Me too. I feel like that's how I still feel like walking into a GameStop. I'm like, yeah, I could just download the game, but there's something really fun about walking around and like it's tactile and it reminds me. And, and I think. Kid. Most game, I mean, the game systems now are like starting to incorporate digital only like consoles. And I just don't know that I want that yet. I want to hold the game. Oh, I um, do not want a digital console because of the amount of times that I've wanted to lend someone a game or borrow sure. a game. And when it's digital, you can't even like I bought Jacob Tony Hawk for his birthday and, and we wanted it right when it came out. And because of COVID, we were like, we're just going to download it. But then I downloaded it on mine so I could pay for it. And even though his login is on my console, it like didn't come with all the extra DLC stuff. And he can't play that because he didn't buy it. Like they do all this That's weird so crap that you're just like, okay, I should have just bought a disc. Like you control all the content I own. You could take it away, the license word at any point. Drives me. I think unfortunately, you know, like you can see the transition starting to happen, but I think the next PlayStation will be just digital. I think that they're like, they're easing it on people, but I'm with you. I want the, I want the physical, physical copy. Yeah. Well, I want to start talking about Shane and how wonderful and talented he is. <laughs> Don't um, stop it. And honestly, just really handsome. Oh, man. And seriously. Keep it coming, please. <laughs> Travis, do you have anything to say? All I'm going to say is I would. Okay. You, I mean, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank, listener. I would. So I'd like to talk about your movie, The Haunting of Grady Farm, which mm -hmm. you were a writer, actor, producer on. Mm -hmm. and probably a million other many more things yeah probably a million other things but i could start with the writing process um it says that you wrote it with three different people and i was curious because it's found footage how much of it was beaded out how much of it was 
word for word scripted. And if you ended up because you were all on set collaborating in some way on set to change things. Yeah, the the haunting of Grady Farm. It it started originally with we were going to do a found footage film that was uh it was going to all take place in a lift or an Uber. The story was going to be something so different. But it all like we started. We got together like the group and I like because we were seeing other people making movies and selling movies. And I remember vividly being in the theater and seeing Brian O'Connell's Bloodsucking Bastards premiere at the ArcLight in Hollywood. And I'm like, Travis and I were there. You're right, right. It was such a cool experience and also like so inspiring because I was like. Brian's one of us, like this feels so real. And that was literally the point. I think the next day I got with my friends, I'm like, we we can make a movie if we wanted to with what we already have, let's, let's see what we can do. And then, you know, one idea like evolved into another, but it, it kind of evolved into one thing. It, it evolved into what it became because inevitably when you like get together with a group of friends, you come in with one idea and it's going to end up being another thing because the group's going to be like, oh, well, I, I have a connection to this or I know somebody that can hook us up with this. And for a project that we knew going into it was, you know, going to be very low budget and very guerrilla filmmaking, like that's that's what like really molds the project. So that's kind of how our writing started is we first like figured out what we had uh, in the play box or the play uh, in the sandbox, like what toys did we have? And we found out we had this land and my, my daddy owns uh, like a fire safety company. So we, we have a connection with the local fire marshal in my hometown. So we know we can, oh, we can do stuff with fire and like, you know, certain th- and safely and, and legally and, you know, how it should be done if you're going to have fire in your film. But we, we, we started figuring out all these things that we could play with and then it kind of molded the movie. But what we've found out quickly is because we, we had the intentions of going into this, doing a com- pretty improvised movie, like, with just an outline. And when we got the, with the the small crew that we ended up working with, they were like, okay, cool. We do need a script for shooting purposes. Like, so we had, but what was like to our benefit at that time is we had a very, uh, a very detailed outline in front of us and very detailed picture in our head of what we wanted it to be. So we spit out a script very quickly, but when we got to set, there was so much, um, I think trust with the the director and and the crew and and us and and it, it's a different thing because most films that you do you're not going to also be the producer you're also not going to be the writer it's like you're usually coming in doing one thing so I think it was this interesting um, dynamic where the director kind of was like well this is kind of their thing so there was this like freedom to hey, like, let's do what's on the script, but like, let's do many takes of just figuring stuff out and having fun. And, and there was a lot of freedom to do that with it being found footage. Like we didn't skimp on the visuals and, and, you know, we put a lot of thought in what every shot looked like and why a nice video camera was being used and and all these things. But we could, while we were out in, in the land or whatever, try things out, pick up shots really quickly when you know most films you really can't because schedules are so tight how many days did you shoot 
we shot for 15, 15 days. And yeah, and it like, you know, long story short, we made this movie for 20,000. It was the one of the hardest things I've ever done. And then I, on the flip side, I've made a short film called Cookie for 50,000, which was the full experience of what a film we dream for it to be, like the full crew, everything done the right way. And what I learned through the, like the process is like, you can make anything you want. The experience is just going to be different. You know, at the end of the day, like Grady Farm took us, four years to finish. We shot it in January, 2016, and it just released in November of 2020. And it's because there was such a low budget. It took a long time to finish post-production and I didn't want to skimp on anything. I didn't want to half-ass coloring or visual effects because we knew what we had. And, and I was just like willing to take as long as it took. But then on the flip side, we shot Cookie and then it was finished within a, a week, you know, because right. we, we, we had post lined hmm. up that, that perfectly and, or that, well, I should say. If you don't have money, you end up just being like, I have to do 10 extra jobs that I normally wouldn't have to do. And so I'm only one things. person. So I have to do that. Did you, in the editing process, as far as color grading, sound mixing and those things, did you, how much help did you have? Or did the three of you just work it out yourself over the years uh of finishing it i was kind of the person that was spearheading everything keeping everything moving but then i would have help from like some of the other producers with the editing or people would collaborate but ultimately in the end it was myself and the director who finished it like in the editing process because i moved to atlanta for a year and a half two years for acting purposes and he lived there so we were able to sit in person multiple nights and just finish this thing. But yeah, it was kind of like everybody was wearing 10 hats. Like I, I didn't know when I got to set that I was ultimately going to be an AD. I didn't even know at the time what an AD was. One of the most valuable positions in a crew. And I think that's the other thing I've learned with doing this low budget feature and then a high budget short film is like the value of the crew members. It's, it, I mean, every anything can be made with any resources, but it's just you realize like just how valuable every single crew member is when you are, when you have them. It, I, I think it's so shocking in a good way where I'm like, I have hope in the world and for art that you were able to kind of go through this process of what do I have mm. and, and filling the form of what's already available to me. And the fact that you got distribution and that I watched your movie, like I paid for and watched your movie and it was that it, that it was born from this idea that there were no limits and that you if you wanted to make a feature, you just could. I find that mm -hmm. so I feel so inspired and motivated by that. Oh, good. So what was uh, the process of like once you were in post or at the end of post, were you already like reaching out and trying to get people to watch it or buy it? Um, you know what I mean? Were you, were you putting your feet in the water before it was done or did you have it in your hands and then you started that process? Yeah, the, comp the company we ended up getting with High Octane Pictures, I, I already had like a little bit of a pre-existing dialogue with them because we were chatting with them about about helping us with the finishing funds for the movie. They were, they were, it was close that they were about to invest to help us with the post-production, which was we were talking, I was talking with them in 2016 about that. So I had I already had this connection with them. I already liked them. They have a really good reputation. Um, and I, I already thought it was really cool that they were that close to just like blindly trusting this project that much already based on like 
a trailer and footage that they were about to dump this money on us to help us finish it. It didn't ultimately end up happening, but I kept that connection. So when I knew we were close to finishing um, and we had some kind of a cut to start passing around, I did. I just started reaching out to as many contacts as I could and talked with some really cool people. And we didn't have like a sales rep or anything. It was literally just me sending it to people. And then ultimately, like I circled back with high octane pictures, they were still really interested. And that's when we started talking and it was a, it was a lengthy process. I will say this too, like if anybody listening and when you make your movie, um, it is obviously, and I know you guys know this, it's such a long process. The shooting it and prepping to shoot it, the pre-production, that's the fun part. The finishing it is the hard part and the part that you can't lose hope, you can't lose steam because it is so quickly, projects just end up getting abandoned because people just get frustrated, personality clashes, everything will end up, just prepare yourselves for that as much as possible. But then once we got with high octane pictures, I was like, okay, the hard work's done. no. The hardest work was yet to happen. The delivery process to a distribution company was the most tedious thing that I've ever done. And I think it was because also it was way harder because it was all pretty much on my shoulders and the directors too. I have to give him a lot of credit because we worked back and forth and he was doing export after export after export of the film because they need multiple versions of the film. They need versions without sound effects. They need versions without music. They need a version without dialogue they need versions with uh, this and that and this and that and then like the most tedious thing i'll never forget in the delivery process to the company was i had to go through four it's it was called for for foreign dubbing so i had to get a spreadsheet that was very specific and i had to time code every word of dialogue so when the line started when the line finished and exactly what was being said by what character now, what was maybe very easy if the film was to script, the script we started with was not the film we shot. And there was a lot of like improvising. So because the directors really, the director really wanted us to have natural dialogue. So he was very much okay with like a little bit of talking over each other, like a little bit of like how conversations really happen. Inevitably, people are going to like, there's going to be a conversation over here. There's going to be a conversation over here. If there's like more than four people in a group. So we try to do that, but I never knew how insanely difficult it was going to be four years later when I'm sitting for literally, I think I clocked it three solid days of full, I mean, I'm not just saying like 24 hours a day, not period, but like three solid days of just doing that. And it was the most tedious and frustrating thing, test of my patience that I've ever done, but they needed it, you know, for, for the foreign markets, which is even cool to think about too. And the part of the process that like, we haven't even got to yet is like, this is just the release in the United States. Like we're still going to be releasing in other countries. There's still going to be a physical release. You know, it's a very exciting process, but like a lot of work goes into it. And I will never forget the moment we released it. Like I did a 12 hour live stream the day before we released it. Like I hosted it and in a way to like on all of the, the films, social media platforms and all of my platforms, we did this 12 hour live streams as like a celebration and also to just urge people to watch it. I'll never forget when when the, the stream ended, we were 
refreshing and refreshing to see if it was up yet on Amazon. And when it finally was up, I just started weeping. Like, because I, and I didn't even like know that was going to happen, obviously it would, but it was just this feeling of like, it really was off of my shoulders for the first time. And I was also exhausted as hell from that live stream. And then I exhausted as hell from the years of this film that I weeped with my girlfriend for like 30 minutes. And then I was like, okay, I'm good. I just like needed to let it go. And I just didn't even know that that emotion was going to be let out of me. But yeah, man, it was the hardest thing I've ever done, but the biggest learning process I've ever done. And man, that sounds nuts. I feel like this is why I'm going, I'm going to get you that Dwayne, the rock Johnson shirt that says hardest worker in the room. I got to get you. I I love that. And I appreciate that, but I won't wear it. It's a little tacky in my mind, but no, no, no. but I, but I do appreciate the compliment. We'll we'll just say it. I have to tell you though, that the day after we recorded the the great lost episode of 2020 Mm -hmm. um, and you, you brought that shirt up, which was so flattering. I told my girlfriend about that and what you said, cause she's, she's so nice. She's always complimenting me about like my, my work ethic or whatever. And I could see, cause she's like searching for things for me for Christmas. I saw her brain. Like I could see her like, Oh, I'm getting him that shirt. And I immediately was like, don't give me that shirt. I'm not going to wear it. I love but that. Like, you're like, I love that. You're like, I love the sentiment, but I just, Oh, I do I love the sentiment. On my body. <laughs> I love the sentiment so much, but like, I, I wouldn't wear that shirt. I, I just, it. it's like, yeah, I'll wear the shirt. You can give me a shirt. It. I'll use the shirt. Get him the shirt. And I will. I feel like yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, about yeah. me. It's about somebody else I know. I feel like I'm if, kidding. I'm that, kidding. Oh I'm my kidding. gosh. I'm going to, that's why I'm going to get that shirt because I, <laughs> I love, so I love funny. his line. But again, I'm like, I can't, I'm not the hardest worker in the room. But if, but if someone says that anything about it, I'll just be like, you know that, you know, friend. you know how Will Smith, he's oh, always like, you know, if I'm on a treadmill and someone else is on a treadmill next to me and we're going to see who can go longest. I'm going to be the one who goes the longest. I'm going to be the one who wins. And I was like, yeah, dude. Yeah, sure, man. I'm going to stop going on the treadmill eventually. (laughs) I'm just, I don't have that in me. I do have to say that the the filmmaking process was, I mean, I just finished post-production on my first short film. And I want to say again, and I'm going to say it is amazing. It's an amazing calling card for you. I never doubted your acting abilities whatsoever but it really blew me away and i think the the best is yet to come of like what that short is going to do for you which most shorts are used for calling cards for people like that's the truth like we make these to be like hey this is what i can do uh, as a dp as an actor as a writer whatever but for you it's going to do great things so i can't wait to see what it's going to be sorry to interrupt no thank you you're you're wonderful i I really appreciate you taking the time to watch it and that just means a lot to me um but in relation to you talking about grady farm obviously the short film process wasn't as long as that but it took so much longer than i thought it was going to Mm -hmm. and i had to in my mind re-up like 40 times in post-production they're just be like so discouraged and then i'd be like i have to re-up and remember the spark of passion that made me want to start it. And I actually even feel that now having it done that I have to re up again to like get it out there and like to put, you know, submit it to film festivals and Mm -hmm. passionately put it out there. And so the amount of times with these like longer, deeper projects that you have to reignite is crazy. But also I think the reason why I'm attracted to filmmaking is because even though I love improv and how it's sort of lightning in a bottle, there's something about the deepness 
of like how much work you put into this one thing and tenderness and uh -huh. love into this one project that I really I imagine like. it's got to feel like being a parent like a little bit because I, I feel like you're probably you were probably in the same position that I was is like you ended up being the person that was like keeping the boat moving. Um, so I imagine it's got to feel a little bit like I got to get my kid to college. If I can just get him to college or whatever that X is uh, or that finish line is, then they're on their own at that point, theoretically. I got to imagine that's what it kind of feels like. Because if you neglect it or if you let it fail or you don't give it the proper attention, it is going to flop or disappear or whatever. And then like that affects so... I think that was the pressure on me constantly is like, okay, I've been anointed, not even by really choice. It just like, it came on my shoulders as the person that was just continually keeping this ship moving. But then it becomes a pressure of like, if I don't keep this ship moving, then all the work that the other people put into this, it's like, th th it's not, it's going to have been for nothing, you know? So it's this like pressure, but somebody inevitably has to be that person. Absolutely. With all that hard work and the leadership that it took the tedious three days of every character, every word, every line, would you do it again? And will you do it again? Is it something that you like, do you have advice for 2016 Shane that, you know, you could take into the future of filmmaking. Yeah. I mean, I would a hundred percent do it again. Like, I mean, the guerrilla filmmaker in me would do it the same way if I had to, but now that I've, you know, done both ends of the spectrum, the film production, like I just know now what I would do differently. I can also, I think I would absolutely be able to make like a feature for 20,000 again. I just would do things way different. And it's hard to be like, to me in my head, it's hard to go back to that 2016 Shane and tell him, you know, what to do differently. Cause I think I needed that Shane needed to go through this grinding, grueling experience to then be able to appreciate something like cookie and that process and the, and learn how valuable each crew member was and, and what they all do and, you know, everything, you know, the whole part of the process. I, I wouldn't probably tell him anything. I want that Shane to, to suffer, to be very truthful. That makes sense to me. Do you, uh, as far as if you had $20,000 again to make a film, what would you do differently now? Like, how, how would you spend your money? First and foremost, AD. AD, I, that would be the one crew member I would not neglect and have a really good one. It's funny because you mentioned BOC and Bloodsucking Bastards. And before I went in to make Inch Thick, I talked to him and asked for his advice. Oh, good. And the, and the one thing he told me was that he was like, you need a first AD, like even on something small. That's you think, so funny. He's like, you think you don't, but he's like, I promise if you have a good one, it's like night and day. Huge. And a good line producer too. Someone that's going to take any budget that you have and be like, here's where it needs to go. Here's where the money needs to go. Because most people like, it's not just like, that's a, that's a skill that's taught. It's like budgeting a film, you know? So I'd say, if somebody has 20 grand and wants to make a feature or short or anything, find a good line producer that's willing to take that small of a budget. It's not a small amount of money. I, I'm not saying that. But for a feature, or for a film, it is, you know, kind of a small amount of money. Taking whatever money you do have and is willing to make a budget for it, a realistic budget with the, 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 the means you do have. And then, yeah, like it's just like getting as many of the valuable crew members as you can as part of the process. Like that's what I would focus on.
And then what I would suggest is like, go back to your hometown. Like if you live in a small town, like go back to your whole hometown, pull favors, get, you know, I found it was really awesome how excited my hometown was to become a part of the process just because I started asking. Funny story, like we, when we were shooting the movie, we, you know, we were doing a horror film and we did all the proper precautions of calling the police every day and, and letting them know they're and the neighboring people. Like we are going to be, you're going to hear screaming. And if you get phone calls, like nobody's dying at this location or in this area. But that being said, even though we put in that effort, we had one night where one of the actresses was screaming so loud and, and believable that a house two or three miles away heard the noises and called the cops and told them like, we think somebody's being murdered in the woods. So we, we were shooting one night and it was really late. And then all of a sudden I'm walking out of our base camp, which was just like a trailer on the land that we were fortunate to have and put our stuff in. I walk out and cops had guns drawn and they were coming towards me. And I'm like, whoa, 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 you know? Um, but what had happened is they got that warning. They were searched. They apparently went, they came in from behind on the land and were searching and searching and searching. And then they found the, the base camp trailer and through one of the windows, they saw what was laid across the room was what was donated to us by this amazing local haunted house called the Shallow Grave was these prop dead bodies oh that were beyond God. realistic. <laughs> I can't even explain it. So not only did they get a call thinking that murders were happening, they saw through a window dead, what they thought were a pile of dead bodies. So they thought, oh, there's like a cult here and they're murdering people. I quickly de-escalated the situation um, and told them what was happening. So what the energy they came with ended up being this, this energy. These cops were so pumped that we were shooting a horror film that they ended up becoming background actors as the what? creatures in some of the scenes. So if you watch the movie, I mean, we don't show the creature often, spoiler alert, but when we do, we try to make it count. So anytime you see them, there's a couple of times it's Lake Wells Police Department. No <laughs> that's way. Wow, yeah, that's nuts. Yeah. But that the best advice I can give is like pull as many resources as like as you can. Don't be afraid to ask favors. It's funny, I heard Ozzy Osbourne made a quote one time and I'll never forget it. Don't be afraid to ask favors when you're on your way up because you never know who you're going to need to ask favors for when you're on your way down. And that's like what I kind of live by. The same can be said, do be nice to who you know, you can be coming up because you need them. You might need them on the way down. So that's kind of what I try to live by is like, I, I, I'm not afraid to ask for favors. Like what's the worst thing that could be said? Because one day I want to be in the same position to like help those people or whoever. And just the bottom line is just be good people. Like, you know, this, this industry is full of too many shitty people. And I think that the tides are starting to turn a little bit, like with some, even for instance, like shifting conversations, but we'll get back to Grady Farm. But like the Lucas Gage incident that happened recently with a Zoom audition, like I think the tides are starting to turn because like it's, you can't get away with being an asshole that much anymore. Real quick, if if anyone doesn't know uh, who Lucas Gage is, uh, you, could you understand? Yeah, quick? so- He's an actor that, you know, because of COVID, we're all having to have Zoom auditions right now. So he had a Zoom audition, I believe, a couple of months ago. And the director on the other side of the Zoom audition didn't realize his mic was unmuted and was just insulting Lucas's living conditions, like just ripping it apart and 
And it was completely just disgusting. And it was just like, why do people, what, what, when does that turn happen? I just have never understood it. You know, I'll never understand. I think it's all in your upbringing and, you know, we could dive deeper into that type of thing, but like it, you know, Lucas decided after months and I I think he didn't even book the part, like I'm going to release this clip because he was smart enough and had the foresight. And I advise actors to do this when you're shooting zoom auditions, not because you're trying to, incriminate or alienate anybody hopefully that doesn't happen to you but film also on your cell phone just in case you like lose a connection or lose a recording like the great lost podcast of 2020 you then have a backup of of the the audition on your cell phone and so that's what lucas did and he released it and i think it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to his career um because he went insanely viral and yeah he went super viral yeah and so but that being said like going back it's like i think things like that are putting people in the industry in check a bit like hey just don't be assholes like just don't be an asshole like be a good person it's a lot easier feels a lot better you know like i don't know i don't i mean i've I've gone off on a tangent no you're fine i try to be empathetic to to everyone so that you know when you hear about like Christian Bale having some freak out. I'm like, well, maybe he was having a bad day or the other, you know, I don't know. I wasn't there, but at the same time, I just feel like I have so much fun on set. So I don't understand. Like, I understand when people are tired and, and, and grumpy, but when they're real dicks to each other, I I just think it's pretty inexcusable. And I've had my moments. I'm sure. I'm sure Sure. someone out there is like, Tasha, you've been grumpy to me. But I just, I don't know. I just like being around people and I like making stuff. And it's like, you have the best job in the world. The Christian Bale thing was a bit excessive. Like I get one side. I can't, we can't fathom like how maybe hard his day was, how hard he's working. It was a Terminator film. He was probably exhausted to a measure we probably haven't felt yet. But that being said, it's like, even if he got a little frustrated, you then it get to a point of like, you, you calm down. You just you walk check away. Yourself. You just walk you away. Walk away. Walk away. You do what you got to do. You don't berate an innocent person for minutes. It was a, it was very excessive. I get one side that he was maybe grumpy, exhausted, overworked, whatever in the middle of an intense scene. We don't know, but yeah, like you said, walk away, dude, walk away, go to your trailer, cool down, come back, be professional. I think that's such good life advice. I mean, like with the great lost podcast of 2020, um, (laughs) I was angrier than I've been in a very long time and walking away, eating something and then reminding myself, Travis is my friend Mm. and I at least want to see how the next week goes to before I decide whether or not I want to end my friendship with him. (laughs) And so I came back and I was like, let's be cordial here. I'm not going to berate him. I think that we should do a quick check-in. Are we are we still recording, Travis? Oh, that's a uh, yeah, yeah. We great, are. Great, thanks great, for, great, great. Okay, thanks cool. for thanks, asking, Jane. Yeah. Jane I, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should be here for the rest of them, just to make sure that Travis is. I can be that. <laughs> yeah, I can be we that. could just check in. Improvisers of the world, Andrew here. I think we can all agree, 2020 was quite a year. We all want to start 2021 on the right foot, and you know what? You beautiful humans. You don't have to do it alone. 2020 was a year of isolation. Let's make 2021 the year you find your community again. A dear, dear friend of mine, Kimberly Alou, at the People's Improv Theater, The Pit, is here to help you break through barriers and find the fun in the new year. Take a whole host of classes, including 
Fundamentals of a Form, where you can learn 12 improv forms throughout the year. There's also How to Start a Virtual Indie Improv Team, where you and your new classmates will spend six weeks developing a brand new form specifically tailored for this virtual world we found ourselves in. And also, Approach to Dramatic Improv, where things slow down and you'll find the power of silence in your scene work. So, whether you're a newbie improviser looking to up your game or an expert looking to stay fresh, she's got a class for you. Let me just say, Kimberly's been a great friend. She's been there for me. And she knows improv, so I know she can be there for you. Check out her upcoming classes, including start dates and pricing, at aluhu.com. That's A-L-U-W-H-O.com or thepit-nyc.com. That's T-H-E-P-I-T-N-Y-C.com. Do you remember the first time you went like viral? Yeah, I mean, um, my first, well, see, like over time, it's funny, like viral, I think has, has changed a bit over time. When I first, the first memory of quote unquote going viral, I did a very topical comedy sketch of a little, it was dark comedy, but when Osama bin Laden was assassinated. Um, so I did a, a video where I played George Bush. My buddy Peter Murphy played Osama bin Laden. And it was just a video of Osama basically saying, I'm not dead. It's okay. Guys, calm down, calm down. And I was George Bush. And, you know, I was just like, yeah, we didn't get him. It's all right. So that went pretty viral very quickly just because it was very topical. But even viral, that was only 50 to 100,000 views uh, in, in, a, in a day, which at that time to me was like, this is viral. Um, but now on the other end of the spectrum, like it was, it's been very bizarre in the past two months. I've, I've had some really wild success on TikTok and then even on Instagram with my Karen's husband videos. One of them passed 5 million views, which is baffling to me and it's really started to like you know i've grown you know i've gained a lot of followers on instagram and tiktok uh, the baby bodyguards i went from two months ago i had what a three thousand followers and now i have almost one hundred and eighty thousand followers so it's insane the world we're in with social media what viral is now and it's scary to think of what it will be if viral is now million to 5 million views, followers, whatever, what is it going to be in the future? Like, is it going to need to be a billion views? Like what, like what, what is audiences going to be? Cause it's like, even on TikTok, like, yes, I acknowledge and am taking full advantage of the audience that is I've stumbled across of. And I'm, I don't want to say I'm taking advantage, but like, I'm trying to, you know, while I have it, I'm trying to get the most out of it, I should say. It, taking advantage sounds very negative, and I am definitely not doing that. I'm trying to, you know, get the most out of it while I can. But also, that being said, 100, while 180,000 followers on TikTok is a lot, there is a lot of people on TikTok with over a million followers. Our friend Katie Molinaro is a very talented foodie, does a lot of fun comedy videos, She's over a million. That is what is crazy about TikTok particularly. It's just one, it is an amazing platform because you can go from two months later overnight having such a huge following, but it's scary to think of what it's 
what is the evolution of this? What is social media going to be like? Is everyone going to have a million followers eventually? Are we all theoretically going to have these television networks on our phone? Because that's kind of what it is now. It's like, the way I look at it is like, some of the videos I post get more views than some television shows that are on television. And that is scary, exciting, sometimes I don't know how to handle it type of feeling. Um, you know what I mean? It's like, what is it going to end up becoming? Is there a pressure that you have once you start getting this amount of views to feel like you have to constantly like meet those expectations? Dude, more than you can ever imagine. I can't explain to you. And I was talking to Katie about this yesterday because I asked her, like, you know, I'm like, there's got to be some, like, because I'm experiencing this pressure of like, not wanting to lose this momentum. While I have it, while TikTok is still a thing, I don't think TikTok's going anywhere anytime soon. But like, while I still have this thing, it's this pressure of like, oh my God, I can't lose this. Like, I've got to, to get the most out of this while I can, because it could disappear. I found a happy rhythm of this like work schedule of shooting a ton of content and taking one day to edit videos for the whole rest of the week. And that's like, at least three videos a day on TikTok. Wow. And I'm, I think I'm in this position right now because I did experience a little bit of success on Vine, but then I didn't take it as, you know, it's like when you do something and in the past, it's like, oh man, I would have done something. I would have done it so differently. I would have handled it so different now. And where would my career have been? It's hard not to have your mind go to those places. Sometimes I try not to, but like I did have some success on Vine that if I would have taken a little bit more seriously, like it could have gone in a really cool direction. But like I did, I, I was also not in a place of knowing even what to do with that. But now it's like, I think this, this weird and exciting success on TikTok has hit me at a really good time because of this work ethic I've conditioned myself to have. And also this like appreciation of it. Like I'm, I, I'm not taking it for granted. I, I want to give and give and give and give content to these people and not ask for as much when in the past, like I would have probably been in a place of like, okay, I just got a hundred thousand followers. Like, Hey guys, buy this thing now, now, now you got to get in a mindset of like, just keep giving, just keep giving to your audience, keep giving, giving, giving. I do ask, you know, I promote like my donut punk and occasionally I'll promote my Grady farm film, but like, you know, I, I try to just like give them as much as possible to, to keep that, that connection with them as long lasting as possible. It's bizarre, man. How do you manage? Cause I know that you're talking about this pressure. How do you manage the pressure of judgment that you put on your own creation? Cause I know that for me, when I have expectations from an audience or expectations of myself that I then start to judge my ideas more. And how do you get a handle on that? And how do you organize how often you put things out and like making sure that you don't stall? Sure. I think the, I'll answer your second question first. I think the, the organization is like, for me, everything, some people can work a process of like, oh, I'll just shoot and post something, whatever. But for me, like I have found what helps me personally is a happy rhythm of like, I take one day a week to edit out all my videos for the week. And I, you know, I'm managing, you know, several different, I like to say I'm watering several different plants. So, you know, I have my on your mark wrestling project that I'm also 
you know, I have a, a guy, I pay a little bit of money to edit my videos for the week and do all these things. And I'm, then I'm posting everything. I'm scheduling everything. So that plan is watered in that way. Then I have donut punk that I have to, I have to make sure there's posts every day of the week for that. And like, I've got to check in with the, the clothing manufacturing company and like, you know, all the, all the, X's and Y's that need, you know, done for that. Then I go to quote unquote chain heartline, whatever that is, you know, to me, that brand of needing to make sure that plane is watered where that's like posting videos to my TikTok or whatever. But like, I have to have at least a loose schedule as actors, as filmmakers, we have to be flexible because auditions will pop up. Things will happen that we've got to then toss in a schedule, you know, uh, a podcast that you record that ends up being the best interview of your life, you're going to uh, maybe have to re-record it. This might happen. Um, uh, Theoretically. Uh, I promised myself I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that back that this many times. Oh, it's my favorite. But I think it, it's my favorite. I think it's, it's well-deserved. Uh, <laughs> no, but I think just, just finding like, and it's not going to happen overnight. You're going to find like a rhythm that works for you. Everybody's different, but you do need some sort of organization or else you will feel this like machine in your head get overpowered and messy. And sometimes I do feel that way. I, I tell my girlfriend, like sometimes my head feels like I'm getting like overworked, overpowered, overpowered, meaning like this machine's just spinning out of control a little bit and it's hard to focus. So it's like, I have to constantly check myself and recenter myself or whatever I need to do in that moment or force myself to stop at a certain time of day because I do love what I do. Like I love like making content and I find myself sometimes like I have a video idea and like, I just need to make it right then because I know it can be made very quickly. So yeah, I think that the best thing we can do as creators that are watering many different plants, like most of us, you know, like you guys are doing a podcast, but like, I know you also have like a short film and like, it's a lot of kids that need feeding, can't neglect them or they'll starve. So just finding balance. Sometimes what I try to do is like, I've experimented with is like making one day a week dedicated to one project. So maybe you make one day a week, like I am putting all my effort and energy into the podcast, getting the word out there about it, scheduling guests, recording. This is my podcast day. No other day gets attention for the podcast. Whatever, you know, that works sometimes for me. For some people, I think that that could work. Um, so yeah, just some structure, man, we have to, because as, as actors in this business, like we, we can just sit around and re rely on auditions and wait for the next one. But like, I think that then you're strangling the audition too tightly. You're putting way too much pressure on the audition. Watch how much better your auditions will be when you have another creative project that is that that you're passionate about you're putting your time also into some people think that like oh you're spreading yourself too thin some people can get spread too thin that's very true but i i think that you do need that other thing i think it's so important as an actor whatever it is it doesn't have to be a podcast it can be anything work on a book write a book or a script whatever yeah it's just like flirting like if you're if you put so much attention on one person <laughs> Like that's Desperation when is unattractive. Yeah. When I met my fiance, I had like, th like three different dudes that I was like kind of dating on Tinder very, very casually. But I, I am the type of person to be like, like to totally zoom in and just be like, oh, this person, I'm super into him now. And like, thank goodness that I had other things going on or else I would have scared him away. Sure. And I was like, I think creativity is a lot, a lot like that. You can scare 
a casting director. Oh, they smell like, desperation. Yeah. Unless you're auditioning, auditioning for the desperate guy, they can smell desperation from a mile away. And it is very unattractive. And then to answer your first question, I think that like I've gone through waves of that voice in the back of my head, that like judgmental voice about what I'm making. Is this funny enough? Is this going to connect? I've gone through waves where that voice is louder or quieter. And right now it's like, I think because I am kind of working on as many things as I am working on, that voice is really quiet. Like it is there sometimes, but I have found this, like I keep the phrase that I've, I really like lately is this happy rhythm of, I ha I don't care as much. I don't care as much about what people think. My goal is one of my goals, I should say, is still very much Saturday Night Live. Like most of us comedians, we dream and would love to be on that show. So everything I was usually doing was like, oh my God, is this going to be funny enough for the people they think it's funny enough at SNL? Like, is this going to help further my goal for SNL? Blah, 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 blah. But now it's like, I literally don't care. I just am trying to do and put out the things that I think is funny. And I feel like lately, like I am producing some of the more funnier things to me because I maybe took off that grip. I'm not listening to that stupid voice anymore as much, but it, I go through waves. Like I, I, I can't sit here and say like, Oh my God, I'm just in this place of pure confidence. No. And, and any comedian actor that saying that is bull, they're lying and they're lying to themselves too, because as artists and actors, we're going to always have that voice. But I just think that you can quiet it if you figure out how to. And I think it just takes time. And it also takes not being afraid of, or that, that thought of like bungee jumping, you just got to jump eventually, just like throw things out there. Like the, the worst is not going to happen. You're, you're not going to be blacklisted. Like I think even our worst fear as actors and comedians is like, somebody's going to see this and they're not going to think I'm funny. And then they're going to forever not think I'm going to be funny. And then like, that's going to stick with me forever. But I think that that doesn't even happen as much as we like to think it does. And honestly, like I'm at a place right now where I don't give a shit if people think that, but I do go through waves that even that being said, like I have this happy place right now with that confidence, but like I go through waves, you know, and it's different for every person. Like for me, like I have this neurological condition that, that affects me and sometimes can, can, can pull on my confidence when it comes to acting and over the years, that's been a lot more intense than it is now. And I think it is now a lot lessened because of different things are starting to work. And like, it's like taking the pressure off of it a little bit. I think that's Absolutely. such a valuable lesson for all artists, because judgment of any kind, whether you're judging each other, other people, or especially if you're judging yourself, that fear that comes in your own work won't serve you at all. It only holds you back. So if you can try and it takes practice, I mean like you said, you're still working on that muscle. But if you can get rid of judgment in your creative process, you work so much more free. Yeah. Or like, I think finding like this happy place of building a relationship with that, that judgmental voice in your head, instead of like this, like unrealistic thought of like, I got to kill it. I got to get rid of it. Get the hell out. We know that even like people that have gotten on SNL, once you get to SNL, I'm using this as an example. Once you get to SNL, then that's a whole nother world of things you got to deal with in your head. Everything's just going to make that judgment louder. Yeah. Well, you know, I follow a couple people well, a lot of people that are on SNL and it's funny to see them post honestly about their own fears. Even when they get there. More, 
once they're on the yep. show. Yeah, exactly. And we're all sitting here like, oh, come on. If I could just get there, like, what are you, what are you crying about? But no, the truth is you get there and it's like, now you don't want to lose it. And it's like probably not even comparing, not even saying this is close, but I got to imagine it's a similar feeling of what I'm somewhat feeling with this TikTok thing. It's like, I've gotten this, you know, success that like I have worked for, for a really long time. I started YouTube in 2005. So theoretically my quote unquote overnight success, we know are never overnight successes of with this um, audience I've built on TikTok now has taken me 15 years it is even more pressure that I don't want to lose it. And I want to give this audience as much content of me as possible, but it, it's got to be a similar feeling. It's like, I'm there now in my mind. Like, this is what I've been working for. I don't want to lose it. And I got to make sure that these people think that I'm, they don't leave, you know, like I'm here at the dance and like, I got to show them how good I dance. I, uh, one thing that I also think is great words of wisdom is the idea of, to go back a little bit doing one thing a day, because I know for me, I lose a lot of speed in between projects. So if I'm going from podcasting day into trying to write my own thing, there's like this, it's like hard to shift my brain. So if you have bigger blocks of time, whether that's days or just a few hours to do something so you can flip that switch and be really productive, because like multitasking doesn't really exist. It's just like how quickly you go in between those tasks. So I really like that you are watering multiple plants so that your grip isn't so tight, but that you're also spreading them out and giving yourself chunks of time to like really delve deep and, and give them the love that they need. Yeah. How do you, how do you pick which plants to start watering? Like, I, I know we all have a lot of ideas, but between donut punk and working on um, apparel and your feature film and your TikToks. Uh -huh. Like, do you, do you have things that ever fall by the wayside? And, and when do you say no? And when do you say yes? I think, you know, you, it's a mix of two things, like, cause we got to pay the bills, you know? So it's like, those things have to get the proper attention. Like, so donut punk right now is like slowly starting to become an income. You know, I know with the beginning of any any project or, but specifically like a clothing company or an apparel company is like the beginning is just the brand awareness phase. It's like getting the word out there as much as possible. So I'm putting more money in now than I'm making, but that's because I'm trying to like get my shirts on, on some influencers or whatever it's going to take to get the word out there. But I know in the long run, Donut Punk could become this thing that is a great income that I'm really creatively passionate about as, as a, quote unquote side hustle. But for me, it's like those, those things like Grady Farm, Donut Punk, the things that make me money creatively and auditions when they come in have to take a little bit of a precedent. And then past that, it's like the long-term ones that like, oh yeah, down the line, this, this script or this whatever could make me, could change my career, could make me some money. Those are very close second, but I kind of prioritize those just like just to gutterly how excited I am. I try to like acknowledge that. I am very excited right now about this comedy horror feature that I'm finishing writing. And so I'm already starting to like reach out to a couple people and production companies uh, and just kind of like put a bug in their ear. Like, hey, I'm finishing a script. We're going to be looking for financing soon. So hopefully when we have the script done, I can just pass, start passing along to people and 
So that's got me really excited, but I think you just have to be really honest with yourself. You just know, like if somebody comes at you with an idea creatively that you're just not feeling like you just got to be honest with yourself because your time is precious and there's nothing worse than like putting so much work into something that like you're just not enjoying doing. It's soul sucking, but you want to be there for people. So it's just all about prioritizing. But I think like for the, your own projects, you just like just check in with yourself and Oh, this, like you, you feel a spark. You'll undeniably feel like a creative spark. That's like, oh man, like this is, there's something special about this. And like, that's something that I want to keep watering. For me, I have probably five things right now. Donut Punk, The Honey and Grady Farm, my feature script. I'm working on a few pilots, my On Your Mark Wrestling thing. And then, you know, auditions when they come in. Those are my things I'm most excited about right now and try to give them equal attention, so to say. But like, it, you do have to get, ultimately give the things that that are keeping the bills paid a little bit more attention. It's just truth. How cool though, to be in a place where the things that are keeping those bills paid are still like creative endeavors. Like that just is a testament of your hustle because that, that to be in that place doesn't come easy. Yeah, man. Thank you. You know, I've gone through many years of really cool acting and we all know, and for those that aren't listening, actors between parts, the time spans can be short or long. And, you know, so it's hard to fully depend on acting until you've gotten your career to a place we all want to get to. But I, I've, I've been fortunate, you know, to book commercials and some really cool parts and films and stuff and that have like helped pay the bills. But like through those times, I'm always like try. I was always trying to find like something creative to, you know, have an income on the side coming in. And I've experimented with demo reel companies, putting actors on tape. And while like those kinds of things I could do in my sleep, there's no create, like there's no passion for them. I honestly, I ended up just like hating doing it. That's when like I had the idea for Donut Punk a year ago. I was like, oh, this could like in the long run become like a, a pretty cool income and something that like I really and create creatively enjoy doing. And like, I'm trying to think like long-term and like, so I've created, I'm wearing the shirt. So like, this is the, this is Donut Punk, this little alien mohawk nineties looking character. Do you draw, do you do the artwork? No, I work with an artist, Zach Finfrock, and he's like such a talented artist that I went to high school with. And now he's out here and he's doing really incredible things. And so I work with him on my design, some of my designs and, and that character, but I'm like trying to think long-term of creating like more of like a experience and a world with Donut Punk because the possibilities of creating a character are licensing and all kinds of fun and exciting hmm. things. And so I'm trying to think long-term and a little bit bigger than just like slapping things on a t-shirt. Like, but I do. Yeah. What's the mission for Donut Punk? If you had to define it. I mean, the, like the long, like I just like, I'm, I'm partial, but I love the clothing. It's like fun clothing. You know, I wanted to wear shirts that like, feel like something out of the 90s again, you know, like I love 90s nostalgia, you know, so like I wanted to make something that like brought a little bit of that kid like energy into me. So like, I think the goal is to just continue to grow the company. Like I have long term visions of stuff with the character, but also, you know, I have this like loose idea of after I've grown the brand awareness. Like if you go on Donut Punk, the website, donutpunk.com, you can see right now, everything is basically just like donut punk. Like it's just getting the brand out there. But like, I have long-term goals of like, hopefully licensing and partnering up and doing like a Jurassic Park drop or a back to the future drop or like very like nineties nostalgic themed donut punk drops. But I do know that like, I've got to get, 
I've got to grow the brand a bit. So, you know, I just want it to be like something I creatively enjoy doing that I would wear. I am wearing it. It would be so fun to see that character and that, that 90s nostalgia in like short animated segments or something too. Like I could totally see it becoming like, like hitting multiple avenues in that way. It's really fun. That's kind of like one of my goals is like maybe like a cartoon with him or something. Like I have ideas that um, I'm still developing for like online with the character. I've already brought him to life in like advertisements on our social media, which is really trippy to see. And I and I voice it, which is really fun. Like, so it's like this like cartoon character that I created that I voice. So if I license it or create like a show about it, it's like, oh, boom, like I'm the voice actor of that, that this kid, you know? So um, I don't know, like, it's like, I'm trying to like plant the seeds of like, you know, oh, long-term this could turn into like, Something pretty cool. That long-term vision is really impressive. And when when you reach, you know, brand recognition, the sky's the limit with with that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. If you, I mean, they made they made a battleship movie because people know the name. You know what I mean? Yeah. So really, the sky is the limit. And I just, I'm really impressed with your ability to to dream that far in the future is really exciting. That's cool, man. Oh, thanks, man. It's a it's a blessing and a curse. Sometimes I like <laughs> I drive myself a little crazy and my girlfriend. so how many ideas do you just have to leave on the cutting room floor for apparel companies films are you just like Um, too much today shane i probably take on more than i should most of the time it's like it can sometimes be a problem of mine like right now i like i feel like i have that happy rhythm that i keep talking about but like there are times I overwork myself. I spread myself too thin. And it's not that I ever, I don't want to say, yeah, there probably have been a couple of project ideas in the past that I have like stopped, but like, I usually do however long it takes, see something to fruition because, you know, that is a part of me that like, I I've always been that way. Like I have to see things to completion. I think that was instilled on me at a very young age by my dad, who has these very successful companies that he's, started from the ground up by himself. Like I didn't see my dad a lot when I was young because he was out, you know, building this company, go driving town to town, like putting this work in. And I even, you know, just, he instilled in me in a very young age, like you don't start something unless you intend to finish it over and over. I hear my dad saying that whether it's me out in the backyard doing the lawn and I don't want to do it because it's Saturday and I'm a kid and like, no, Shane, you don't start something that you don't intend on finishing. So I think that um, that was just like really, really implanted in my brain at a young age. So, but sometimes it is hard because it's like, you know, we are only one person, but (laughs) to go back to the rock, like I always sometimes like check in with him. It's like, if this one human being can do as much as he's doing, I can never complain, but I do think it takes conditioning because like, I think about like my workload that I put on myself right now, Shane, even two years ago, wouldn't probably been able to like keep up with it, but it's because like you do a little bit more over time. The rock, when he started in the WWE, probably couldn't have kept up with his workload that he has now, but he's conditioned himself to get there. So don't zero to 100, like this crazy, unrealistic workload on yourself. Like there is a lot to be said about, you know, baby steps into anything and everything you do. Can you speak a little bit to in this process? I'm sure there is, like you said, you had someone to help you edit some videos for your Mm -hmm. wrestling work. 
I assume in certain projects you can pay people, but when you're specifically like asking for a favor where maybe the money isn't there Mm -hmm. or maybe not as much money as normally someone would charge for that work, how do you think about and go about asking for that? Yeah. I mean, I think communication and being very transparent is key when you're like looking for somebody to help you with something and, and, and monetarily you can't offer a lot. So the guy I do have right now, while I'm not paying him nearly what he deserves, he's a very talented editor. I went to him and was like, this is how much I have to put forward to you every week. How much can you do that communication needs to be there from the beginning. But I, that being said is like, there are hungry editors out there. There are people that, that are looking for things to just like hone their craft or get involved with a project it's just getting, you know, be very like, don't take advantage of people. That's the first thing I'm going to say, obviously, but be very open with communication beforehand, work out like a kind of a deal. Like whether it's like, if you're down the line going to be making some kind of income, cut them in on it, or give them a producer position, you know, with cookie, because I was coached on how to do like a fundraiser the right way. One of the things we did is like, I had to build a team of people to help me with this campaign, help me with the daily duties of like sending emails, all these things. And I built a team of about six people to help me the whole month of this campaign. I couldn't offer them money, but what I did offer them was all this education totally for free that I was paying for. I offered them a producer's position like for, so for somebody getting into the industry, that is a valuable thing because that becomes like a calling card of like, Hey, I was a producer on this like short film and we raised all this money and like we it's gone to festivals and it's done all these great things. Like, so it's like, find out what is a value to that person? Sit down, have that conversation, like see what they're looking to do and meet them in the middle. If they're wanting to become an editor or whatever, you just, I think it is just like communication is the first step. And if you intend on taking advantage of somebody, just know that is the wrong move and it will come back to haunt you. But like that being said, there are hundreds and thousands of editors out there, people of every position that you may need, just like figure out, because the guy that I'm working with that's doing my wrestling stuff, years ago in the beginning, he was editing for free for us just to get his name out there. And then it got to a position where he was very honest with us. He's like, I need to, I, I can't do this for free anymore. And I'm like, completely understand. So then we started working out a deal and that was realistic to both of us. So don't take anything personally, but also don't take advantage of people. I feel like finding people who are where you are, you are at and are interested in the same content and the same, like they're passionate about what you're working on mm-hmm. a lot of times will help you and, and also really galvanizes the team as mm-hmm. a whole. You know, even I, I want to be able to pay my friends and pay great sure. artists and I, and I, want to be in a position where I can help people out in that way. And I, and I'm working on that. And sometimes I can, and sometimes I have to ask for favors, but at the end of the day, as a creator, I also want people who are a hundred percent on board emotionally. It's not, and that's not to say that they have to spearhead or do anything more than their job, but it always feels nice when there's people who read a script and are like, I want to be involved in this. Yeah. And, and honestly, I want to pay that person even more because they care. They'll do better work too. If they want to be there. I'll never forget when I was, you know, interviewing DPs for cookie, there was, you know, it came down to two people whose work I was really into. There was one person that I kind of like his work at the time 
stuck out a bit more to me. But the person I ended up choosing, Sarah Winters, she was much more passionate about the project. And so at the end of the day, I was like, well, I've got to pick her. You know, I boiled it down to these two people. He's great, but she's way more into it. And we've ended up becoming like best friends and I want her to film every one of my projects and she made cookie look better than I ever could have imagined. So it's like, yeah, that is a good deciding factor. If like you're looking for somebody to collaborate with or bring on a project, you do want to get somebody that's excited about it. Otherwise the pro like I have also worked with people and some people that were on cookie that I could tell just like, you know, they were just going through the motions to make that money. And like it was, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, 50 grand is a lot, but like that money goes to a lot of places. So I wish I could have paid some of these people more, but like at the end of the day, you do just have to pick, or it is better, I should say, to pick the people that are excited about your thing. Yeah, it kind of dampens the the spirit, I think, of of the team. If there's if you can tell there's people who are just just kind of rolling with the punches because they because they, they have, have to, to or yeah. they need a job. Yeah. And and I understand it too, because it's like you're not what are the odds that you're gonna have like everybody be a hundred percent in, but that's the dream, I think. Yep. Yeah. Building a team. You know, we want all, we all want the Adam Sandler thing of like, where we're making movies with our friends and you can just tell everybody's having a good time. And sometimes they're fun movies. Sometimes they're not as fun, but like at the end of the day, you can tell he's just like, they're all just having a good time. Yeah. It's really beautiful. It's lovely. We should do a podcast together. <laughs> were we recording this one? No, we're actually not recording this one. We're going to record the next one. Yeah. Okay. We're going to, yeah. Third time is a charm. So I might have to wait till after Christmas, guys. Um, after the holidays. Now, so. <laughs> yeah, whatever's good for you, your schedule. Just yeah, whenever we're sick, cool, we'll, cool. we'll work with you. Yeah. One thing we talked about in the Great Lost episode of 2020 mm -hmm. is your wrestling career, mm -hmm. um, and I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about that. And also, I was curious if you—I know you bring that into your comedy a lot, but if there's—and and you're still creating content but i'm curious what you feel like your future with wrestling is i'd be lying to myself if i didn't say there's not always a part of me that's like oh my god i want to i want to do something in wrestling i want to like there's some really great companies that are starting in wrestling right now and like i would love to do it but that being said like when i got into wrestling like i was started wrestling training when i was 15 professional wrestling training started when I was 15 and then started, you know, quote unquote, professionally, I, professionally when I was 17. But why I said, quote unquote, is because I was doing the independent wrestling circuit. So for those that don't know much about wrestling, there's like the WWE and the big companies. And then there's like, below that is all these independent wrestling companies. And you kind of have to go through the, the, the independent circuit to get recognized and hopefully get a tryout with the WWE. So I, you know, uh, dove in head first at 17 every weekend in high school. Like while my friends were partying, I was like wrestling dudes twice my age and getting my, getting my ass kicked. And sometimes scary in a way, because I could tell these dudes didn't like this young kid that was getting like this, this buzz really quickly because like, I always with wrestling, liked the, the theatrics and the character side of things a lot more than the matches or the physicality. I didn't care as much about that. I cared about the story and the characters. So I, I went in really quickly focusing on that. I developed a really fun character. I was Rip Malibu the surfer. 
kid. I wrestled very simple matches, but I was getting such a great response because I was putting a lot of extra effort in involving the audience. I was putting a lot of extra effort into doing silly but safe moves that like nobody had seen before. Like my finishing move was just, I would body slam a guy and then I would stand on him and surf on him <laughs> and then drop an elbow on him after I surfed on him. And like, I didn't have to do flips. I didn't have to do crazy stuff. And that surfboard was just so popular among the wrestling crowds that I would go to. And so I was developing this like buzz really quickly. I got like voted rookie of the year in 2005. And it got to a point, a boiling point of where I was, I had started doing YouTube, which like was becoming way more of a passion to me and way more of an interest. And then I was going to this like boot camp torturous like wrestling training twice a week that like these like veteran WWE wrestlers would come through and just brutalize us. And I hated it. I got to a point where I hated it and lost my heart for it. And with wrestling specifically with anything, but with wrestling specifically, like if your heart's not there, then you need to get out. You need to find something else because you'll hurt yourself. You'll hurt somebody else. And it's not worth not walking in 20 years. I still have permanent injuries from the few years I did wrestling. So that being said, like had the, had YouTube passion creeping in and was losing my passion for wrestling. I was approached by my wrestling trainer uh, that WWE was starting to look at me and they were interested potentially soon when I, I don't know, you never know, but they were interested. It looked, it looked like they were interested in giving me a tryout. I quit wrestling that night. Wow. I think that like, I don't know, is this like guttural, like, I don't want to do this full time because I had, I think I had like a bit of a confidence of like, I think I could have easily gotten into WWE because they were at the time more than ever looking for characters that they could license. And, you know, I just, I knew what I was developing was exactly kind of what they were looking for. And I was young and I was healthy. I wasn't doing drugs or anything. So like, I was kind of like the, the prototype of what they were looking for at the time. I quit that night and like I doubled down on YouTube. This should say a lot. I always in my mind was like, I'm doing wrestling to get into acting. Mm. And that is not why you should get into wrestling. So like I doubled down on acting. I just got into YouTube and that like snowballed into an agent and all that stuff. But like, man, it was a wild world, like seeing things that I shouldn't have seen at a young age. I also probably was just not, I didn't have the backbone or the confidence that I should have had to be thrust into that world. And some, some kids that age do, and I just didn't, you know, it might've been too soon for me, but that being said, it's like, now I know how to have a wrestling match. I could theoretically go out there and have a basic wrestling match and have since then I've done little wrestling spots and shows and stuff here and there. And but I'd be lying if I didn't say that I, you know, that that thought creeps into my mind of like, oh, it'd be fun to do something. But that my on your mark wrestling stuff on on YouTube and everything still kind of scratches that itch. I still get to be invited to wrestling companies to do little comedy spots, interview the wrestlers, and I and through it I've met guys that I idolized when I was a teenager. Like yesterday, I was a guest on this guy Ryback's podcast, who used to be this massive WWE star, and it's just. Things like that, I have to constantly like pinch myself and and wish I could show my, you know, younger self. Mm. That's so cool. What do you feel like is your dream position like five years from now? Because I know you said you're in a happy rhythm right now and you have so many cool 
fucking projects that you're working on. Is there one that you prefer between content creation and producing and acting? I know you said SNL was a dream of yours. Is that still true? Yeah, SNL is definitely, it's up on the top of the mountain. I wouldn't say it's the only thing up there, but it is. Every year I send a tape, I've been able to showcase in front of producers once. You know, they haven't stopped telling me to send a tape yet. They keep looking, you know, so I'm going to keep every year give showing them something different. So that that is definitely still one of the big goals. I also, you know, I want to I want to make TV shows. I want to keep making films. So it's hard to say like I think in 5 years I I never am, I'm not the type of person that's like, "Oh, 5-year goal." Like, I guess I am and I'm not because I don't sit here and I'm like, "In 5 years I want to do this." But if I was to sit back and look at it, I think in 5 years I want to I want to have a TV show that I've created on television. I want to be making movies that I can like put myself in and my friends in and you know, doing that thing, what we want to do. Love that. I love it. I, I really feel yeah. like S you'd be great on SNL. I'm just putting that oh, out there man. into the world. And can you send this to Lauren? Yeah, guys? absolutely. Can we, can we get this? Lauren to is a listener too. He's uh he's definitely uh, yes. he's a big fan of storm chaser. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Lauren is actually my uncle and he brings wow. Bud light for Thanksgiving usually. Bud light. Yeah. What did, I wouldn't have chosen him as a Bud Light guy. Either. But he's he's a big Bud Light dude. Right on. He's crazy. I, I like Lauren even more now. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I appreciate that. That means a lot. Thank you. Yeah, you got it, man. I honestly, with uh, some of the stuff you have coming out, it wouldn't shock me. So I'm definitely, root, I'm oh definitely rooting God. for you. Man. Well, you've made my day. But I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a dream and it's a dream of a lot of ours, but... It is also sometimes, can I cuss on this? I, I should have asked that a long time ago. It is Do also, it. it is a mind fuck sometimes, you know, the whole process of like trying to be as funny as possible for a five minute SNL tape. You know, the, I, there are pros and cons of the whole improv system out here. And I think that there are a lot of cons because it's very clickish in, in some places. And I think that a lot of young people like myself can get lost in like, oh, I have to kiss ass here at this school. I have to do things X, Y, Z to get the attention of SNL. And yes, sometimes that works. But like, I think that if you put that passion and energy in just like in working the muscle of getting yourself to a confident place, because it, it does take work and it does take going on stage and doing experimenting, throwing videos online and experimenting. And you can't just flip of a switch find your funniest things or find your funniest self. And even like I, the things that you may end up on SNL with might not end up being the funniest thing that you'll discover three to five years into the show. I think everything comes with experimentation, but like I've found like the level uh, and I don't even feel like I'm at my peak of confidence, but like I found a level of confidence through the years of random NASA shows or the hopefully Chris Pratt, Shane Harline show, like the things that I was doing to, to peel those onion layers off of insecurity and build that muscle of confidence and, and get to a place of where like, I feel like you guys are in this confidence too with storm chaser of going on stage and not caring about if there's a judgmental silence audience out there that is taking themselves way too effing seriously. Like that's a whole different topic I could get into about comedians. There's certain comedians out here that just need to like loosen up and be good people. And I think they put on this front of like, I'm not going to laugh at anything because I don't want 
to like help the other person. Like, God dang it, lift up your friends, lift up your peers. I get so sick of going to shows and like, I'm the only one laughing at someone on stage because you know that everyone else doesn't want to laugh to lift them up for this competitive thing they have. It's stupid. Drop it. There's also this whole other thing. You guys have opened the floodgates. There's whole there's this whole other type of comedian too that you can just fucking tell that they're trying to act like they don't care. It's this like style of comedy that's like, whatever, this like, I don't care comedy. Motherfucker, we all care. And it's okay to care. Like, just be you. Like, it's so obvious, like that type of thing. Man. The- God dang it, I had to let that out. Like, I've been holding that. Ooh, I love this song. I Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I love it. I'm the funny, to me, the funniest man alive is Brendan Jennings of Cook County Social Club. Oh my God, he's so good. He's so funny. And the most beautiful thing about him is that talking to him in real life, he laughs at everything. He finds joy and humor in everything that other people do. You can tell he's real. He's real. Yeah. He's just authentically having so much fun and finding joy in things. And it makes him a great person to be around and a great comedian. And it makes you want to work with him and, you know. Absolutely. And because to me, I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's the funniest improviser. The fact that he's willing to laugh and find joy in even the greenest of comedians Mm -hmm. or like some dumb thing I said, like in the car, like it makes me be like, well, that's how you should be. Yeah. Like, so supportive. I can't tell you how many people at, you know, I'll just say it at IO specifically, I don't create like a blacklist. That is you know, it's our theoretical blacklist in our own brain. I don't do that. But like, I will say that like, I've had several interactions with people that it's just like X, Y, or Z, you know, you're trying to just talk to them and be a normal person. And they just don't give you the time of day because they act better than, or they think they're funnier than you. You can just tell, you can just tell they're giving you that energy. And then I do remember those things. It's like, okay, then I don't want to work with you. I don't like the energy you're putting out. And it's all from a place of like, you think you're better than me, but Hey, motherfucker, if we get in a fucking car crash, we're both bleeding the same blood, dude. Nobody's better than anybody. At the end of the day, like like I said, that that Aussie quote has always stuck with me. Just be good to people because you never know who you're going to need when you're on your way down, man. Yeah, I started doing improv and comedy in Austin. And the Austin comedy community, when I was coming up in it, I think it's changed now from what I've heard, was just so much more supportive than other places. Mm. We had a man who came to Austin, started teaching there, Tom Booker, who had a pretty good deal of commercial success out here in LA. And when he first came to Austin, he didn't think this, the sincerity was real because he felt like he couldn't trust it based on his time in Los Angeles. Oh, interesting. But there was a event that everyone threw in the improv community where they would have these folders hung up and every folder had a person's name on it from the improv community. And you can write whatever like gratitude note or nice thought or memory That's about That's beautiful. I love that. And put it in the folder. And it was this beautiful celebration of everyone and their individuality. And you, and that can change somebody's life, man. Like Exactly. It's, it's not hard. It's a lot easier to just be a good person. And you just never know 
one, how it can change somebody's life. Or two, it's like, hey, that guy might in five to 10 years throw you in his movie. And that's not why you should be a good person. But hey, like we're all going after the same thing here. So if you have the choice of being a good person or a dick, just be a good person. It feels a lot better. It's a lot easier. Love it. I love it. Well, this was really great. I feel like. Yeah. Could Dutton, does it, is it better it's than. It's not as, no, it's not Absolutely as good as not. the last Nothing episode. Nothing could ever top that. I mean, I thought compare. it was great. I thought it was Okay, you good. would. Yeah. You would. You would. Honestly, we, we're not taking your opinion on this one. <laughs> Just. Dude, I could keep Shane around. I have Just Travis muted. Is, is Travis talking right now? <laughs> oh, I've had him muted the whole time. I've just kind of been talking to when I see his mouth move. Oh, great. He's cool. not Me saying too. anything of importance. I never am. That's all. JK, 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 JK. Weren't you just talking about being nice to everyone? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> what a bit that was, right? Stop the bits. <laughs> I got to get a shirt that says stop the bits. Stop the bits. That's, I, that's another peeve thing I have when I, Facebook is so bad about that. Like when you like post something and you're asking like a question or whatever, it's like, God dang it. We know you're a comedian. Like you don't have to go. It's like bit city. Like just, that's another thing guys. If you take away, you don't got to always resort to bits. Like there, it's not a competition. You know, you're not going to get hired from your bit off of Facebook. That's, True for every improv show too. Just because you're doing an improv show doesn't mean you have to do bits every scene. Or off stage in conversation. Just talk to somebody normally. Like, whew, like if I meet an improviser who is willing to just like immediately be vulnerable and open and present, I'm so much more attracted to that person. And I find myself occasionally i mean at the ios bar happen all the time where i'd be like i'm in a bit and i can't get out of it yeah, like i'd feel sure. like i'm in it and i didn't know if i was perpetuating it or if the other person was but i was like i'm in bit. it i can't get out but i just the moments that i treasure are the ones where even if i maybe started with a bit somebody just got really real with me mm. and that's where i feel like i find the most comedy as well yeah like I'd prefer just get real with me. I, th I think that, yeah. you know, and like, we've all probably gone through phases of this, but like, I think that like at somewhere like an IO, you always are just like think they're early in your career. You're it's in the back of your mind. Like I've got to impress everybody because I don't know who's going to give me opportunity or like who's a gatekeeper or, you know, it's like, so you are, it's always like you're on performance mode, you know, you're not your truest self, but it does take time to like, peel off those layers and and you know you mentioned having like feeling like you have to impress in, people of institutions earlier and things like that and then not waiting around for them but creating your own content and i think that as a team and as an and as a as an individual i've found that a lot where i thought i wanted someone else's approval or opportunity or whatever but at the end of the day, the things that I get true, deep satisfaction for are the things where I'm the path carver. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you're a living example of that. So oh, I hope that people open doors for you. Like SNL, get this guy well, on. Lauren here. should be listening. You said so. Yeah, he's listening. Yeah. Um, get him, get him a Bud Light. But <laughs> even if they don't, I feel like you're going to open your own doors. So oh man, thank you. Like yeah. SNL is a weird thing. You never know what they're looking for. I think they're just kind of trying to fit puzzle pieces most of the time, which may, I get it. Absolutely. We're manifesting it for you, Shane. Thanks, man. Where can people find you online? Yeah, I mean, just Shane Harline, search me, you'll find me. Got to promote Donut Punk. 
donutpunk.com. You can, you know, it's my apparel company and it's a great way to support me if you like the content I make or whatever. Um, it's also like just fun Christmas gifts and just fun apparel. So donutpunk.com um, and then The Haunting of Grady Farm, which is on Amazon, iTunes, but the distribution company was pretty open with us and said that we get a bigger kickback if someone purchases it on Amazon. So we're like pushing Amazon. So if you have a choice, purchase it on Amazon. And it's very important um, to uh, give it a rating and review if you can after. So absolutely. Your donut punk designs are fantastic. Oh, thanks, man. Haunting of Grady Farm gave me a nightmare the night after. So (laughs) I love that. Definitely oh, yeah. scary. Thanks, with me. Yeah. I, I, Good I, times. I watched it with my wife and there were several uh, scream out loud moments, which is. No way. Weird. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that is that. Hey, I love that. Well, this was great, guys. I appreciate it. And like genuinely, I love you guys. And I've always admired your uh, I mean, Storm Chaser, I think, is hands down like I'm I'm not blowing smoke. I think you guys are one of the best improv teams in Los Angeles. And anytime we had a nasa storm chaser collaboration type show or i always i always look forward to it so i can't wait till we you know i think there's a light at the end of the tunnel with this quarantine and i can't wait till we can get out of here and do some more improv i'm itching well there you have it folks thank you for listening to the storm chaser improv podcast show shane is a delight remember to check him out on instagram his apparel donut punk and his amazing TikTok videos. Thank you so much for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram at Stormchaser Improv, on Facebook slash Stormchaser Improv, and on our website with links to the podcast, including show notes at www.stormchaserimprov.com. If you enjoyed this, please consider leaving a review. It takes about 60 seconds and you can compliment Pish on his hair. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Storm Chaser, please reach out on Instagram. If you'd like to advertise something, perhaps ask that cute person on a date, or just say more things about Pish's hair, let us know. Thank you. This was the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show. I'm Anatasha. Thank you for listening, and now, go chase that storm. Thank you for listening to the Storm Chaser Improv Podcast Show.